Hello, Real Life family and friends. Uh, we are continuing our series today on the book of Romans. Let's pray together, okay? God, we just ask for you to speak to us as we look at your word and inspire us with your truth. Lord, we believe in you. We believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life. So lead us, guide us, fill us today. Speak to our hearts. Let your word come alive to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we've been working through the book of Romans, and today... I want to look at Romans chapter 12, but we're not going to get that far into this chapter. Actually, we're only going to spend uh, our time on Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. We're going to, of course, uh, do a couple of tangents off of those verses and just really dive into what God is saying. So the reason why we're spending so much time on this one little tiny passage, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, is because it's a pivot point. It's kind of the exclamation point of the response that we ought to have from Romans chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. <laughs> so, because it starts with this. Let me read it for you. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2 says, Paul says, Therefore, and before I even read anymore, I want to stop right there. Some, somebody once said, Once you see the word therefore in the Bible, find out why it's therefore. You know, what the reason it's therefore. So before we read the rest of this verse, it's there right here because Paul has just spent 11 chapters describing the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to you and to me. That God did what we could not do for ourselves. And 1,400 years worth of mankind trying to gain righteousness under the law uh, before God and failing time and time and time again, no one being able to live a righteous life according to the law and gain that reconciliation or uh, forgiveness from God, God himself shows up as, a, as the promised Messiah that the prophets spoke of in the 600s, that he finally came, Jesus came, and he lived and fulfilled the law perfectly on our behalf, and then offers to us a path of righteousness by faith in Him, not in ourselves, not in what we do or don't do, but in what He did on our behalf. And so all of this series really is coming to a head here where Paul says, now, therefore, you know, here is our response. What ought to be our response to the grace of God, to the mercy of God, to the love of God revealed to us? That from the very beginning, God never expected us to do what we couldn't do. He was just showing us that we needed Him, that we needed to trust in Him, that we needed to have faith in Him, that we needed to trust our entire lives into His hands. And as a result of the revelation of Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the risen Savior, the one who paid for our sins and rose again as the first fruits of our resurrection, what is our response? So Paul says this in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of his grace and his love, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. In other words, give your life to him. Give yourself to him. Give your body to God. Worship God with your life. And he says, this is your true and proper worship. Verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
So, before we go any further, we're going to spend today talking about these two verses here in Romans chapter 12. And Paul says, in view of what God has done, in view of the mercy of God, in view of the grace of God, our worship, our response to God is to give our lives to Him. We have no other option anyway. For 1,400 years, mankind discovered that no one could get right with God, even though there's this this frustration within every single heart, every human being has this unsettledness until we come and are reconciled with God, until we're born again, until we're forgiven of our sins. There's a restlessness in the heart of every person because we know we need God. Something's broke. Something's not right. It's our spirit. Our spirit is dead. It's cut off from God, the source and creator of life and the giver of eternal life. And so until we come to home, until we re- repent and place our faith in Jesus, until we get reconciled to God, we will never have rest in our soul. And Jesus said to us to come to me, he said, and you will find rest for your soul. Jesus is the answer every human being is looking for. The problem is not all of them know it yet. And so that's who we are as Christians. We are the ones who have discovered the truth in Jesus, and now we have the great privilege and honor and responsibility to share that good news with others. And so Paul says, give your whole self to him. This is your response. This is your worship. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world anymore, but be transformed. Change your mind. Think differently. Become who you already are, a child of God. Be cleansed from this world's way of doing things, uh, the way of thinking things, and, and the way of behaving. And put your whole life into God's hands and let Him reshape you, remold you, renew you according to Christ in you, not your ego, not your pride. So I got a couple things I want to share with you today. First of all, the Bible says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Let's think about that for a minute. What is the pattern of this world? Well, I believe we can see the pattern of this world in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Let me read it for you. Um, John says, do not love the world or anything in the world. Now, he's not talking about uh, people, to not live people, to not love a beautiful uh, sunset, to not love, you know, um, nature. Uh, He's not saying that. So we'll get to that in a minute, but he's not saying that because it kind of sounds weird, doesn't it? Do not love the world or anything in the world. There's a a meaning here of the word world, and it is not just the, it's not like the physical world, it's not the people in the world, but he's referring to the system or realm of sin. In this context, the world is sin. It's the system of sin, the realm of sin. We live in a fallen world, a world filled with sin. Okay, so he says, do not love the world or anything in the world. Don't love this system of sin or anything in this uh, realm of sin. Then he goes on to say, if anyone loves the world, uh, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, and here's the pattern, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, listen to this, comes not from the Father, but from the world, from this system of sin in the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. All right, so the pattern of this world really can be summarized into these three things. 
the lust of the flesh, which is lust. It's sensuality. It's the desires for pleasures and feelings outside of God's boundaries and established morality. And so we can have all kinds of pursuits of this. We see our world um, uh, filled with lust all the time, uh, sensuality, sexuality, looking for highs, looking for pleasures outside of God's boundaries. Now, God is not a God, a killjoy God. He's not a God that doesn't want you to have fun or enjoy life. That's the opposite. God absolutely wants you to enjoy life. He came to give you abundant life. He came to give you joy, um, hope, love, peace, right? He came to give you life to the full. And so, of course, God wants you to have a great life experience. But the sinful desires that are raging inside of us are the things that are outside of God's boundaries or outside of God's timing that hurt us or hurt those um, around us. So in 1 Peter 2, verse 11 Um, Peter says this, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, this is not our home, we're passing through this, this phase, but I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. So we all know we have sinful desires that are not right, they are wrong. And when we give ourselves to them, Peter reminds us those things are waging war against our own soul. They hurt us. They fill us with condemnation and guilt. Some of them cause physical illnesses, uh, mental illnesses. Some of those things hurt people and harm people for our own pleasure or, or benefit. We see all kinds of these types of activities in our world that some people are hurting other people for their own pleasure, right? Those are all evil desires and sinful activities that actually war against us. They deceive us and they harm us. And so uh, this is the first of three um, identifications of the pattern of this world is a, a lust of the flesh or lust, lust. The second is lust of the eyes, which I'm going to summarize with one word, and that word is greed. I mean, we have all contended with greed. Oh, I see that, and I see that, and I want that, and I want more of this, and I want, oh, they have that, I don't have that, I want that. And we see people all over the globe chasing things that they see, that they want, that they desire. Whether it's more money, bigger houses, more cars, bigger TV, you know, material possessions. People have been chasing stuff um, all throughout human history. Um, the, the, the lust of the eyes is to be greedy and covetousness and jealous and trying to always get more. Now, Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, he says, watch out. He's given a warning, exclamation point here. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And then he tells us why. He says, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Life does not consist in material possessions or an abundance of things. Jesus says you will not find life when you get a big pile of something. You will not, your soul, he's talking about deeper things than just you know, living under a roof or something. What he's saying is your soul is craving something that things cannot satisfy. So life is not found in things. Life is found in in a relationship with Jesus. Can I get an amen from you?
All right? And yet, we have all struggled with greed, lust of the eyes. It's an evil desire. It's a misplaced hope that that thing over there will fill my soul. And it won't. It won't. That's the way of the world. It's a pattern that we see in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. Lust and sensuality and pleasure-seeking and greed and wanting more and wanting more. This is the pattern of the world that Paul is telling us, do not conform to these patterns. Don't be like the world. It's empty. It's not working. It's leading to death and brokenness and harm. So the third one is the pride of life. And we all for sure have dealt with this one. We've dealt with all of these. This is a constant struggle for every person is pride. Pride. The prioritizing of oneself over God, the prioritizing of oneself over others, the, the, the self-centeredness and the ego of life. Pride. Always striving to be on top of others, to find some sort of security or value by elevating oneself. Pride. Pride. It's an evil pattern of this world that has led to untold abuses of other people. And so um, Luke 9.23, Jesus says simply this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. That, that's the opposite of pride, to deny oneself and take up their cross daily and follow me. Don't follow your pride or your ego. Give yourself up and submit and follow me. Take up your cross, follow me. Okay? Jesus also says this in Matthew 16, 25. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses it for me will find it. So the opposite way of the world is the way of the kingdom of God. So Paul says, what is our response to the mercy and grace of God? Do we stay in this worldly um, condition of darkness and brokenness? And, and we could never get to God on our own, but now God has come to us. He has fulfilled the law perfectly on our behalf. He has made a way for us to be forgiven and reconciled to God, to be born again, to be, to be filled with life. And so what is our response now? Do we stay in the world's mindset? Of course not. Do we stay in sin? Do we stay in bondage? Do we keep thinking this way uh, in a fallen way, in fallen patterns? Do we keep behaving these ways in sinful desires and sinful patterns? And Paul's like, of course not. What we do now is we come out of all of that and we give our lives, our very bodies to God as living sacrifices. God, you own me. You own all of me. I'm all yours and now transform me, renew me, show me who I am in you because we can be free from all of the darkness and the brokenness in our world. And so Paul says, so don't be conformed any longer. Do not put up with, think like, behave like the patterns of a broken world, a dead world, a confused world, a bound, a bound, a bound world, right? Come out of that and be transformed. We know the word for transformed here 
in the Greek is, a, you know, it's like it's the word that we get for metamorphosis. It's, it's the word that we associate with a uh, caterpillar, you know, going into a cocoon and going through a process and then coming out a butterfly. Uh, that's the word that we use to describe that process. And that's the word that's used here for transform. Paul's like, we need to be completely changed um, into the image, really changed back into the image of Jesus. And so that's what God wants to do. Uh, he wants you to, you know, if you want to use the butterfly example, he wants you to fly through life, right? Not crawl, not be, you know, crawling and, uh, and low. He wants you to soar uh, and be beautiful because it's the glory of God upon you and me. We are created in his image. And, uh, we, and so sin has tainted all of that, but now it can be stripped away and we can be transformed. But we need to make a decision to not be conformed anymore. So the pattern of this world is lust, greed, and pride. And what do all three of these things have in common? A focus on self. All of them. It's all self-centeredness. The pleasing of self, the satisfying of self, the prioritizing of self at the expense of all others. So in summary, the pattern of this world is self-worship. It's self-worship. It's me, my rights, my feelings, my truth, my time, my body. It's me, myself, and I. And that is self-worship. It's putting yourself in the place of God. It's saying, I'm God, I'm autonomous, I'm in control, I'm self-sufficient, I have my own self-importance. Do you see how that is the opposite of what God says about who we are? We are His son, His daughter. We're made in His image. He's God. We're, we're His creation. He loves us. He fills us with His love. But without Him, we are nothing. Without Him, we can do nothing. Uh, we must come to a place of faith and trust and humility in God to be alive. If we remain isolated from God and in our own thoughts, self-sufficient and self-autonomous, and we don't need God, we die. We die because we are not God. And so it's a very, this, the gospel is very offensive to the self, to everybody who's bound by the spirit of sin. They're bound by self-worship. And the gospel is very offensive to that, to that attitude, to that approach, to that philosophy. When the world is filled with self-centered people, though, you get what we have right now. You get chaos. It's impossible for everyone to live a self-centered life and walk in unity. Because self-centeredness absolutely doesn't care about the other people. No, it's only caring about self. So you have people trying to, you know, define their own truth, define their own territory, define their own rights against everybody else. And whenever there's a conflict, you know, it's hard to resolve it when you have two self-centered people. Even in marriage, you know, most marriages break down because there's a self-centeredness that begins to take over in the relationship. Not a mutual giving, not a mutual sacrifice, 
not a mutual love, not an unconditional love. If those things are in place, an unconditional love, mutual sacrifice, a mutual edification, serving one another, loving one another, giving to one another, not focused on self, the marriage thrives, prospers. But once self starts to take over, the marriage begins to deteriorate. Every relationship's like that. And so in our world right now, the reason we have all this chaos is because people are not putting Christ at the center of their life. They're at the center of their life. And this is what sin looks like when it runs rampant. It's a bunch of self-centered people. Okay? So if I'm offending you, um, you know, think about the fact that this isn't what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to share with you the truth of God's Word. And if there's self in you at all, that's what's getting offended. It's our self. It's the world's way of looking at things. Paul put it this way in Galatians 2.20. He says, I, ego, I have been crucified with Christ. My, like my life, my identity, it's gone. I have decided I'm dead to myself, okay? And then he says this, and I no longer live. I am not living in that old ego personality anymore. But Christ lives in me. And now the life that I now live in this body, I am living by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's Christ in me, Paul says in Colossians, is the hope of glory. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not a better you, but it's Christ in you. Not a better me. Me needs to die. Tim Hobson needs to die. My ego needs to be over. My self-identity needs to be gone and swallowed up by Christ. That's where the life is. That's why Jesus says, if you'll lose your life for me, you'll find it. But if you try to keep it, you'll lose it because there's no life in and of yourself. It's only in God. So the opposite of the world's way is love. God's love. God's love. As modeled by Jesus, the highest expression of a human life, Jesus showed us what that looks like when he gave his life away for us. That is the highest expression of a human life is to give itself away for others. That is love. Love is giving your life away. Giving your time, your energy, um, you know, your effort, um, serving, loving, praying for, giving. That's love. That's what love looks like. And the gospel message, as I said, is incredibly offensive to a person that's held captive by the world's system of love because it's offensive because it's a direct attack against the self, the self. The way the world, let's summarize it this way, the way of the world is selfishness, whereas the way of Jesus is selflessness. They couldn't be more opposite. So anything inside of you that's still of the world needs to go. That's what Paul is saying. Anything inside of you that's still self-centered, full with lust, greed, pride, needs to go. 
You need to not conform or allow that in your life any, anymore because that's not who you are. It's the pattern of this world. God has a new pattern for you that leads to life and freedom. His truth will set us free. Amen? So I'm going to also show you that the gospel doesn't accommodate self as the primary focus of life. It really doesn't make sense to, uh, you know, to, to call yourself a Christian and to live and look like the world. Because the gospel doesn't actually make room for that. The gospel demands the self to die and to be replaced by God. The response that we have to the grace of God coming to us is to give our life to him. That's what Paul is saying. So the gospel, Jesus, doesn't give permission for you to declare him Lord and live a self-centered life. He doesn't give you permission uh, to declare him Lord and believe whatever you want to believe or to pick and choose what scriptures you will follow. You don't get to continue to make up your own truth or determine your own way or to have your own life. Okay, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. You are not your own. You don't have, <laughs> you don't, the self is what wants all these rights. The self is what fights for autonomy. The self is what fights for um, itself, self-preservation, um, value, security. But in Christ, we don't belong to ourselves anymore. We don't own our life anymore. The Bible says we've been bought with the price. The price is the blood of Jesus. We are saved because of him. And now we give everything to him. That's what the gospel says. <laughs> it's hard to take, isn't it? Until you come to this place of awareness of the amazing love of God. His love for you is so much greater than your love for yourself. That's the bottom line. Trusting that the love of God is greater for you than your love for yourself. And you surrender yourself, your pride, your plan, your rights, your opinions, your beliefs. You surrender all of that to the one who is greater than you, who's more perfect than you, who has absolute clarity on truth and is the giver of life to you. This starts all the way in the beginning, all the way back in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, when um, the serpent comes to Eve and uh, we see sin entering this world. We see this pattern from the very beginning. Let me just read it for you. Chapter 3 in Genesis, verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. So verse 4, here we go. The serpent says, You will not surely die. Serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So you see already he's, a, he's appealing to pride. You can be like God. 
You can answer for what's right and what's wrong. You can determine your own good and evil. Hmm. So there's an appeal from Satan to mankind and tempts us with pride, right? Goes on to say, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and so now we have lust of the flesh. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yummy, yummy. You know, and there's a craving, the lust of the flesh. And pleasing to the eye, I want it. Greed, I want that. And also desirable for gaining wisdom. Oh yeah, pride, I can be as smart as God. She took some of it and ate it. Do you see that? Right in the very beginning, we have these three things, the pattern that, that began right there in the garden. Uh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And mankind fell into that temptation. And since that moment, we have all been um, you know, dealing with these same temptations in a wide variety of ways. Now, as soon as sin entered the world, within this first chapter, we see these things. We see shame appear, fear, blame, pain, cursing, sweat, death, thorns, thistles, and the ruling of man over a woman, the competition of life. And all these things just suddenly appeared out of nowhere. None of that stuff was there. And now we start seeing these words, the destruction of the pattern of this world. It's evil. It destroys. Okay. But there's another example I want to share with you. And it is Jesus's example. So I'm going to turn in Luke chapter four and show you his example of having to overcome all of these things. And because he has through him and his spirit in you and me, we can also. So Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan after he was baptized and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them was hungry. Well, yeah, I would think I'd be hungry too. <laughs> after not eating for 40 days, he was doing a miracle fast, right? And so he's hungry. So in verse um, 3, he, the devil said to them, If you're the Son of God, tell the stone to become bread. So what is that? That's the lust of the flesh. He's hungry. He's hungry. His flesh says, I want something. The devil's tempting him to do this or to meet this need, this pleasure or this. It's a legitimate need, right? But to do it in a way outside of God's boundaries. And it was a temptation. And so Jesus says, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. So he used scripture to actually counteract, um, you know, the temptation. And so Jesus overcame the temptation of the lust of the flesh, his stomach in this case. Verse five, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I'll give it all to you. you I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it'll all be yours. What is that? The lust of the eyes. Look at this, Jesus, way up high. Look, Jesus, you can have it all. Again, uh, Jesus does have it all. He's Lord of all, but he was to do it 
through God's path, not his own. Again, the temptation was for Jesus to not trust in God, his father, but to do something of his own, right? And not to trust. And so Jesus, again, this is, the, this is greed. He's overcoming the temptation of greed when he quotes back a scripture, when he says, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In other words, I'm not going to worship myself. I'm not going to worship you. I'm not going to worship myself. I'm going to only do what God tells me to do. And he overcomes the temptation of greed. So Jesus overcomes lust. He overcomes greed. And now the final temptation. Verse 9, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And so Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, what the devil was tempting Jesus to do was to do this dramatic um, uh, miracle of throwing himself off and watching the angels protect him and land and everybody would give him attention and worship and praise and see he is the son of God. Look at this dude. No one's ever done that before. Wow, isn't that cool? So it was a temptation of pride, attention getting. And Jesus, again, uh, was not going to do something outside of God's plan, but he was going to follow him and trust in him. And he says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. I will follow my God. So even Jesus who is our forerunner, right? Who lived a perfect life, had to deal with the pattern of this world, and he overcame, he overcame, and he overcame for you and for me. And so, in the beginning, John chapter 1 says, the word Jesus was, was uh, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. This is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him, in Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. In other words, he was the source of life for mankind. That light, the light, shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Um, and then in verse 9, it says, The true light, Jesus, that gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So now we see this picture of Jesus is the light, he's the creator. He comes into the fallen mess that we created of sin and darkness. He comes in with light into the darkness. Darkness doesn't overcome the light. The light overcomes the darkness. He comes in as the light, and now that light gives light to everyone, right? And so now Paul is saying we don't have to any longer live in that darkness of brokenness or sin. But now because of Jesus, we can become like him. We, we can let his light shine upon us. He, his light shine within us. And we can be made like him. It is God's determined purpose to conform us into the image of Jesus. Into the image of the word of God. So the word of God is made flesh. Not just when Jesus came and was born as a, as a baby through the Virgin Mary. But now the Word of God is meant to be flesh on you and on me, my flesh. This Word is meant to be impressed upon this body of flesh. Therefore, my brothers, what, Paul, what does Paul say? Offer your bodies to God. This is 
your act of worship. So he says, so now offer yourself to God, that your body, your flesh, might become um, uh, filled with the light, the gospel, the word of God. Jesus in you is the word in you. And so we come back to this idea of Romans chapter 12, where Paul says, here's what you do. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, right? Give your heart, your mind, uh, your will and service to God. Secondly, do not conform to this pattern of the world, which we just talked about. Resist the pattern of this world. But more than that, be transformed. So not only resist and don't conform or be pressed into the mold of this world's doing things, but be changed, be transformed, uh, renew your mind. And how you do that, as he says, is through the word of God. I was thinking about this illustration uh, the other day, and I, I just want you to imagine if I went down to the Flint River uh, at Barber's Park here in Montrose, took a glass, empty glass, and just dipped it in the river. <laughs> and then I took another glass and I filled it with, you know, water from my sink. And I held those two glasses up right there, you know. Which one would you um, want if you were thirsty? I mean, I, I just think about if I just scooped up a glass full of uh, the Flint River and think about drinking, just drinking that whole... I mean, that almost makes me sick just thinking about it. I mean, I... I I would, I, who knows what's in that water? <laughs> it's not purified. It's not clean. It's just filled with all kinds of stuff. And this is the idea that I have for you today is, but there's filtered water. There's the water that has been purified, for the most part, purified, cleaned out, so many things filtered through. And that's what God wants to do with your soul, with your life. He wants everything that you think and you believe and you've known to get to go through the filter of the Word of God and come out the other side. Like every thought needs to go through here and come out here and be cleansed. And some of those thoughts are going to go here and they're just going to hit a wall, stick, and what's going to come out is nothing. It's like it doesn't belong in me anymore. And other thoughts are going to come in here and get tweaked a little bit, modified and cleansed and come out clean and in order. And uh, maybe a, a twinge of pride is removed from that. Or there's a little uh, iniquity that's kind of bent back and, and straightened out and it comes out straight. And so this is what God wants to do. He wants your soul, right, your soul to drink from his purity, his word. Not from the world's thoughts, not, not a, just a cup from the Flint River and just be, keep feeding your soul and your mind and the way that you think with the world's ideas, human philosophies, uh, fallen thoughts. In fact, some, some of the things that are going on, the Bible would refer to them as doctrines of demons. And so instead of living by that way, uh, Paul is saying, be transformed. By renewing your mind, changing your mind, let every thought, everything in you go through the filter of God's word. Put this as your new thought right here. I hope that's uh, making a strong impression on you today. 
And so we are to be cleansed of a sinful mindset by comparing our thoughts to God's word and constantly making adjustments. Everything must be filtered. And listen to this. No personal opinions should be safe. Okay? We, we don't have the right to have personal opinions that contradict God's Word. God wants that out. He wants that gone. That's not from Him. Remember, Paul says these things, in, in, not Paul, but John said, these things are not from the Father. They are from the world. These are not from the Father. These are from the world. And so everything needs to be tested against Scripture. So I want to challenge you to read and study the Word of God in order to be transformed. That's how we're transformed, is by taking precept upon precept, verse upon verse, truth upon truth, and, and processing it and letting it do its change in us. The Word of God needs to be taken seriously. It is your life. It is your truth. It is your healing. And the Word of God is Jesus. James 1.21 says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent, and humbly accept the Word of God planted in you, which can save you, which can cleanse you, which can set you free, which can transform you. And it does. It does. God said to Joshua in Joshua 1.8, He said, Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be careful to do everything written in it, then you will be prosperous and successful. Why? Because you won't be living by the ways of the world. You'll be living off of God's ways, with God's truths and God's wisdom. James 1.25 says, Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, so we see that the Bible gives us freedom, and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, so applying it to your life, they will be blessed in what they do. Remember, God's love for you is better than your love for yourself. God's truth for you is better than your truth. These, again, are very offensive thoughts to a self-centered person. <laughs> so if I'm offending you, there's some self in you that needs to be changed, that needs to die. Because we need to be all in with God. All in. He owns you. And His truth is the only truth for you and for me to live by. John 8, 31-32, To the Jews who had believed in Him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teachings, then you are really my disciples, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so we see the power of God's Word in our lives. I want to finish with this verse, Psalm 19, 7. David says, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The Word of God is not only perfect, it's not only trustworthy, it's not only holy, it's not only brings freedom to you and to me, but it refreshes our soul. It is the glass of clean water that your soul is thirsty for. Drink this. Drink God's truth, not the world's truth. Take in this. Don't take in the way of the world and the pattern of the world. And then, Paul says, you will know 
what God's will is, His pleasing, perfect, and good will, you will know the will of God. There will be clarity for you and for me. And we will be blessed in what we will do. We will be prosperous and successful. Well, I hope this is encouraging you. Go ahead and read and study Romans chapter 12. And next week, we'll probably come back to uh, Romans chapter 12 and finish that chapter together. But right now, I just want to lead anyone here who's watching into a relationship with Jesus. If you want to get right with God and you don't know where you stand, right now, you can have confidence that if you will turn your heart over to Him, that you'll be forgiven of your sins. You will be saved and born again. You can be filled with His Spirit and begin a new life in Him and have the gift of eternity. Pray this prayer with me, will you? Say, Jesus, today I give my whole life to you. I place my faith in you as my Lord and Savior. I believe that you lived a sinless life, that you died and took the penalty of my death at the cross, that you were buried and God raised you from the dead, proving that you are the Son of God. So I put my faith in you today, and I thank you for forgiving me of all my sins. Jesus, you're my Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so I have the new power I need to live this new life that you've given me in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome to the family of God. And for the rest of us, I just pray that God will stir up a hunger in your heart for the purity of the Word of God, that you will allow God to cleanse every opinion, every thought, every past thing in your entire life and go through the filter of God's Word and do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed so you can know God's will and you can live God's will and you can have that abundant life that Jesus made possible for you and for me. In Jesus' name, let it be. Amen. And so now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in his name. Have a blessed day and a blessed week.